Hey there, and welcome to the Sponsor Talk podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways in how brands interact with properties within sports, arts, film, music, you name it. Hey guys, today's episode is with two of the leaders behind the Paps Brewing Company, Matt Brune, who's the president and GM, and Luke Atkinson, chief marketing officer. So firstly, Matt, welcome to the show. Um, we're still waiting a bit for Luke, but I wanted to firstly thank you for coming on the show and, and chatting with us. Um, hope hope the family is well. Um, it's probably the most important thing right now, and uh, hope everyone's doing well on your end. So I wanted to start off this episode by asking around uh, the organizational impact and the business impact of COVID-19 on Paps Brewing Company. You know, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, what are you doing differently? And how is this impacting the alcohol and beverage industry as a whole? So let me start there. In terms of the organizational impact and the business impact, it's been large. Um, we're an alcohol beverage industry and 20% of our industry was shut um, with the on-premise closures, restaurants, bars, et cetera. So that happened in you know, kind of mid-March. So we lost around 20, 21% of our industry overnight. And then we dealt with the massive flip of uh, the volume and the consumer behavior into grocery stores, um, which sent a massive bullwhip through our supply chain because we went from selling kegs to, you know, selling 30 packs of 12 ounce only. Um, and then we saw, you know, grocery stores change their policies and, and procedures. So it's been pretty difficult to manage through the process, both at a kind of channel mix as well as an operational supply chain um, situation. I think, as an organization, we were very early in mid-March to set, a, set forth in three kind of um, projects or work streams. First, we, you know, we established a people health and safety work stream to ensure that, you know, everyone in our organization was, you know, as best we could looked after from the health and safety perspective. We shut offices. We went to work from home exclusively. We, got, we, we socially distanced everyone and we continued to monitor the health and safety. The second thing we did was an immediate action plan. You know, what is happening immediately day to day? We're monitoring sales on a daily basis. We're reforecasting the business literally weekly um, and working with our supply partners to keep it up. And then third work stream we established was our back to work process. You know, how would we and when would we reestablish um, people going back into the market? How can we do that safely? What's the changes in the environment and marketplace, you know, as we see uh places reopen. This has been very dynamic as well. We've seen certain states open before others, um, certain policy changes. So we had to be very agile and localized in our um, decision making. So we set principles and we've allowed local um, salespeople and managers to make decisions on an on, on on ground basis. Uh, we now expect for the next seven, eight months that the situation remains pretty fluid, dynamic, but we are finding some level of consistency in terms of performance. Um, which is making our business more predictable. It's predictably tough, but at least it's predictable. Mm -hmm. And and is this is this kind of forcing your team and yourself to think about or rethink certain things? So that could be, you know, safety procedures, supply procedures, and, and processes. You you've kind of talked a little bit about it, but is there yeah. certain things <clears throat> you're looking at a little more than others now? Yeah, I mean, I think we've re we've evaluated all the actions of the employee and <clears throat> reset you know, expectations and standards. So, you know, with an office-based employees, we remain work from home. That is completely different, you know. So the way we operate from an office-based employee is totally different. You know, Zoom calls versus in-person meetings, 
Um, we haven't allowed offices to reopen yet. We will eventually, in the next you know few weeks, begin a trickle and a roster system with offices. So the the way we physically work on an office base is is vastly different. Mm-hmm. And then our you know people who are visiting stores have had completely reassessed the way they visit stores, um, from PPE management to mm. you know the amount of calls they can make per day has reduced dramatically. Um, how they interact with store managers is different. Sales calls are much quicker. Um, you know, we've we've had to do distributor and retailer meetings via Zoom, not in person. Um, we've also had to deal with um, how um, you know distributors get their product to store. They've they've limited their store delivery days to four. You know, um, they're changing their policies in terms of how they deal with us. So yeah, there's a there's a complete reassessment, and we've had to issue you know totally new guidelines of how we work. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it it feels like everything changed, um, and nothing. There is no new normal. It's it it is the new reality, right? There's nothing normal about you know the way we have to operate today. Mm-hmm. And and Luke, welcome. Um, glad to have you here as well. Sorry, um, I was late. Just in back to backs all day. No, no, totally get it. Totally get it. Thank you for coming. Um, you know, we were just kind of getting into some of the business procedures that have changed, whether that be from a safety lens and operational yeah. lens. And as, uh, as your company starts to get ready for, you know, possible reopening in, in Los Angeles and elsewhere, um, you know, how, how things have changed. So, but I, I know that uh, Matt has talked briefly about consumption habits changing. And I think that's an interesting conversation. So is there, is there things that you're seeing in consumers that, are changing, whether it be, you know, less frequent trips to grocery stores or shopping in different channels, whether it be bulk buying. Um, is there things that you're looking out for or you've seen recently with consumers? Oh, do you want me to take it? I'll go and take this one. Um, uh, y- yes. And I would say that um, a, a lot of it initially was kind of maybe what you would have logically expected. You know, so some of the things you put there, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, buying bulk packs in grocery stores, reduction of number of shopping missions, but very heavy up in terms of the weight of purchase on those decisions. People going back to trusted brands. You, you know, a, a lot of the things that we would have expected. Um, but it has been then, I, I think probably one of the anomalies that we've seen is that... Um, there's actually been a lot of trade up hmm. within um, BevAlk. And certainly, you know, we, we pay particularly close attention to beer, cider, and FMB. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, within that, um, the, the below premium category is the worst performing category. Uh, it craft import are, are doing very well and they have a higher PTC price price to consumer. Um, but it's FMB with mm-hmm. fla- flavored malt beverage, which includes of course, seltzers, white claw being the poster child. Mm-hmm. It uh, are absolutely flying off the shelf to, to the point where I believe uh, uh, some businesses are really struggling to fulfill mm-hmm. um, demand. Um, and, and there's a bit of that going across the board, frankly, mostly pertaining to 12 ounce cans, but, mm-hmm. but particularly, and so salsa is significantly, uh, more expensive than a, than a beer. 
you know. Um, uh, but but it's still flying. I think last the last Nielsen data we saw was around 120% growth. Year and and why year. do you think that is? Like, obviously, if, like um, seltzer is very popular right now. Is there something about it that's attractive to consumers? Yeah, there's, I mean, so, so first up, it was already in very, very aggressive growth, but, but mm-hmm. like plus 60s, maybe, you know, it was probably some of the best numbers in terms of year on year growth. So, so it's almost doubled. Um, we'd be surmising. So we don't have, you know, like actual, actual maybe reasons why, but, and, and Matt, I welcome your builds on this as well. One of the major drivers is going to be that A, first up, the majority of sales of FMBs in particular seltzers came through the off trade, not the on trade. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you, most people go into bars and then they're not drinking seltzers, although increasingly they were becoming available. Um, so it was already, I guess, kind of advantaged in it. it in store and in people's minds as something that you would go to the store and buy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as your it, it then more broadly tends to get consumed in more um, higher energy occasions. And, uh, and those occasions tend to over index more in the on trade than they do in the, in the off trade, you know, people are going to be more likely to be buying beer and drinks for probably slightly more subdued occasions. Um, mm-hmm. Now, obviously those high energy occasions have gone, you know, in the on trade. And so people have taken them as best they can, I think, to in, into the home. And as they've done that, uh, they've, they've decided to, you know, prefer to drink F&Bs and seltzers. And that mm-hmm. has driven a huge, huge acceleration. Um, there's some, I think, probably some health and wellness stuff going in there as well. People are staying at home. Maybe, you know, people, there's a lot that we're seeing about pe- people, you know, maybe their at-home consumption has increased, even though that maybe hasn't completely accounted for their decline in um, on-trade volume mm-hmm. and the lower calorie content and the overall kind of improved, less bad for you perceptions that sit around seltzers have also, also I think made the increased consumption of that category feel more permissible. Mm-hmm. And is there, is there anything your team's doing on ensuring you can service demand. So for example, like I, I work at the Clorox company full time, you know, um, supply and, and is catching up to supply and what demand currently is, is a challenge as an essential business yourselves. Like, is there things that you're doing to speed up production on your end? Matt, I'll let you take this one. Yeah, look, um, the, you know, like much like Clorox, I'm sure, um, beer is a, you know, pretty complex product to make and it has a certain manufacturing footprint. Um, you know, you just can't go and make co-packing and just, you know, any, any facility can't make it. It's a regulated product. It has a um, production process. that's pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Um, line time, um, can be changed. So you can, you kind of move things around prioritization. Um, what's happening at the moment is a lot of, um, trading off between brands. So we're doing a lot of um, solidification and kind of consolidation behind more profitable brands and, and the dilution of weaker brands. So what you're seeing is a lot of volume being pushed into higher margin um, and a lot of lower margin brands are getting whacked um, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty aggressively. So you can, you can fulfill 90% of your good brands and probably 40% of your crap brands, right? So there's a lot of trade-offs been going on inside the existing supply sites. Um, there's a lot of 
you know, how do you access more physical inventory in 12, terms of 12 ounce cans? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of horse trading going on there. Um, and there's a lot of time being spent on the supply sites to allocate and kind of get more efficient. Um, now there was a lot of available capacity inside the existing beer system. So we're using more and more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's a bunch of workarounds going on, um, within inside the supply side, but probably pretty consistent with, um, many other categories that are going through unprecedented, um, of course. and really volatile demand change. It's not longitudinal demand change. It was like one week it was X next week it was Y. And that volatility, you know, kind of creates a ripple or a bullwhip through the entire supply side. So everything is slowly catching up um, mm-hmm. to, to that initial volatile shift. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just cu- more curious on this. So like, I know it's, we're probably only nine, 10 weeks into the whole situation. So it's hard to like take away many things from, you know, how consumer habits are changing. But socialization is changing, right? So um, a lot of your business, I'm, I'm assuming, is you know bringing people together for occasions, and there's a social aspect to it. You know, are you seeing um, in-home usage going up a little bit more recently uh, with everyone at home? And is there like a um, is is there a future? Like, how do you see socialization moving forward? I think that's an interesting topic to talk about. Yeah, this, uh, is the point. This, yeah. this Luke and I are going to have a big fight about this. No, but the, the biggest debate is, are we temporarily impacting or are we creating a systematic and seismic shift in the ongoing behavior of people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you what, the states that have reopened, people are rushing to get back to what they were doing, right? We're seeing on-premises reopen and people stay out till two in the morning. I do think there'll be some midterm ongoing behavioral shifts, right? Until we have treatment and vaccine in place. I do think there'll be a cautiousness amongst certain populations that will change their midterm behavior. Boomers, um, you know, kind of Gen X's, whereas Gen Z's and millennials probably, and we're already seeing indicative data that they don't give a crap and they're going to go back to bars more frequently than than boomers right so Mm -hmm. i think we see midterm increased at home socialization in the comfort and protection of our homes uh, where we invite you know closer friends over for a socialization experience where we enjoy food and consume Mm -hmm. alcohol Uh, i think that increases at home consumption certainly increases we're seeing that in the data Um, but i do think that there is further and desire to reignite our more kind of higher energy um, experiences back in bars and clubs. I think, and I think it's just, just a hunch that restaurants will be more affected than bars because that experience, that experience of serving, you know, eating food and sitting down um, in a almost hospital like environment will feel very poor. Whereas, you know, going to an open-air bar and just drinking a few, you know, cold PBRs on draft doesn't feel like I've really, really ruined the experience, right? Whereas, you know, going to a high-end restaurant, paying, you know, 200 bucks a head for food, but I'm doing it with masks and, you know, I can't talk to anyone and my waiter serves me in PPE, feels Mm -hmm. like it's a really expensive 
experience, but sub quality. So I, I think there'll be changes in the midterm. Honestly, though, I, um, I think over the long term, I'm not sure how seismic the shifts are because I think there'll be an ongoing desire to return to the experiences of the past. Um, so I, I, that's kind of, that's a hunch at the moment. That's my hunch at the moment, but Luke and I will probably have every day a debate <laughs> around, you know, who's right and who's wrong and we'll both be wrong, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think um, in this instance, I'd, I'd probably mostly uh, agree with Matt that, you know, were there significant unmet needs or issues with the way that people socialized before COVID that this disruption now gives people the opportunity to solve Mm -hmm. post COVID. And I'm not sure the answer to that question is yes, really. I don't think people were deeply dissatisfied with the options and avails that they had to them. So people are, I think, uh, missing what they had and are wanting to return to it, but there will be those mitigating factors. Um, what I think probably one of the things that certainly in, in, in my world, people have been talking about that they've missed the most is close friends and family and mm. spending time with them and maybe less, you know, less pining for that big night out where I hung out with 50 randoms and did some kind of went on some crazy adventure. Like, sure. Okay. Miss a bit of that. But when push comes to shove, you know, to, to Matt's point about, spending time with trusted trusted friends and family. I think that's what people have really missed the most and what people are going to treasure the most. Mm-hmm. And I think that will, so there's nostalgia for that and people will be looking to recapture that. And I think we'll maybe reprioritize those experiences um, over some of, some of the other kind of the wilder stuff. And that, that I think will also intersect with some of the industry challenges that we'll face around larger venues, the types of places and spaces that were designed to serve big throngs of people getting up close and personal. Well, (laughs) maybe people don't want to do that so much anymore, don't feel so comfortable doing it, and also wasn't really the number one thing that they missed. Whereas the types of spaces and places that helped you have a more intimate experience and helped you elevate that experience with people that you know, love and trust are probably going to be the, the things that people want to have more of in their lives and yeah, I mean, that the industry yeah. will be able to fulfill. Yeah, I think that's, I think, no, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I think the socialization piece that we spoke about, you know, that's clear. I do think <laughs> the shopping or buying behavior that, that, you know, we talk about, you know, there wasn't a great deal of systematic problems in socialization pre-COVID. I tell you what there was a problem with alcohol was, e-commerce and delivery. Hmm. Um, and we've seen just an extraordinary explosion of people willing to participate in, in alcohol delivery. And I think that sticks. Uh, and I think that'll be true across a lot of the, you know, kind of grocery sectors, which is people are becoming uh, adapted to using, you know, delivery services that, and that will be an ingrained behavior because they've come to realize just how convenient, you know, having, drizzly order you deliver your booze in an hour and a half is right um versus kind of only having to go to the shop so i think there is some shopping behavior that'll shift mm-hmm. uh, with econ being radically radically improved the other thing i think which will be unbelievably exciting is to watch next wave fresh entrepreneurs come in 
and reignite the on-premise because a lot of hmm. bars will go broke, right? They won't reopen. Oh, okay. So what, what falls in it? And when, when, when something falls over, something grows in its, in its, in its place. Right. So, okay. So what happens next in, in, in bars is they shut down and it's better to drink outside than inside because you've got more space and light and stuff. Well, do we end up having a massive explosion of like outdoor kind of picnic style venues that entrepreneurs set up with the licenses of those places that went broke so I'm super excited to see the entrepreneurial spirit of America come through as pe- people pick up the pieces of, of, of the industry. So that kind of gives me real hope. We're already starting to see a bunch of bars in, in Florida and in Georgia, et cetera, take advantage of the, the uh, capacity limit improvement if you're outdoor versus indoor. You can, have hot, you can have your patio full, but you can't have your bar you know, 25%. So we're already starting to see entrepreneurs and bar owners shift their behavior um, in, in, in those ways. So I'm just excited to see what emerges in, in, in that industry. It, it's very interesting you say that because I feel like, um, you know, opportunities are arising. Sure, there's a lot of challenges, but this represents an opportunity for many companies, many entrepreneurs to really spark and ignite um, businesses that they're working on. And I think... 100%. A hundred percent. You know, look, you know, what is the, what is the old quote, the Chinese symbol for crisis and opportunity is the same symbol, right? Um, hmm. you know, it's a two-edged sword. It is, it's horrible to watch 40 million people become unemployed. It's devastating, right? Um, but, you know, if, if you kind of follow anything in American history, um, there'll be a way, you know, mm-hmm. that will we'll put people back to work in different ways. Things will emerge. Industries that, you know, didn't exist will exist. I mean, who would have thought the mask industry might be the fastest growing industry in America for the next two years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll see invention and creation flourish um, as we move forward. So, you know, it's, it'll be, it's devastating. It's horrible. It's, you know, it's going to be difficult economically, but, you know, what will arise will be also pretty, pretty um, amazing. So, so Matt, just to follow up on that, like creativity, innovation, it's, it's at the forefront of what you guys do. Um, like obviously hard coffee you launched recently, whiskey, hard seltzer, and I think IPA in the last six months. So is there, um, you know, an opportunity for you guys to either look at new categories or to use this as a way to drive innovation forward a little bit more um, in the coming years? Yeah. Yeah. We're already pursuing a very uh, aggressive and, progressive innovation agenda from a 176 year old brand in actual ribbon, which has principally been the one beer for, for, you know, 50 years, two years ago, we already kind of established that we've become an enhanced drinks brand that created beverages for every next generation. So we're already kind of at a visionary level, um, prepared to adapt to the changing times. Mm-hmm. Um, as we move forward, uh, as socialization changes a little, as things adapt a little bit, um, we'll, we'll be very open-minded to what you know we we do next because that is now our charter as a brand at perhaps, you know at, at, at the PBR brand level. You know we're not fixated on singular you know old school beer. We're very much in the you know kind of moving forward. So yeah, it'll it'll kind of continue to spur our innovation, drive us forward um, in terms of what we want to create. Um, both at a liquid level, packaging format level, 
you know, all that sort of stuff we'll, we'll continue to look at. There's a couple of questions in the chat line. Do you want to hit those? So uh, do you think there will be new types of venues post-pandemic? So that's, that's interesting. Um, yes. Did you want to touch upon that? Yes, ones with air and sunlight. Yeah, patios basically i love it oh, look, i think anything anything outdoors is going to be hot picnics grass fields six foot from everyone sunlight mm-hmm. beer drinks yeah I, I yeah i think we're, we're going to be less inclined to go down a dark set of staircases into a black room into a, a cramped space and much more inclined to go stand stand on the outside and, and share a beer with a friend right so mm-hmm. i i think there'll be big shifts um and um you know what was really interesting here's a really interesting point we we theorized this is is so so interesting in mid you know late march when everything was shut down we assumed that the on-premise would come back in package form right Hmm. well people won't want to touch glassware they won't want to draft beer um because they'll fear its safety right well the Mm -hmm. exact opposite is true eight weeks into stuck at home drinking beer out of a bottle or a can has meant that anyone that goes back out wants a nice cold draft beer because Mm -hmm. that's the experience, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we're we're learning a lot about what makes, what makes a great social experience. So I think bars and venues will work out what really enhances people's socialization experience and lean into it, you know, um so yeah i do think there'll be significant shifts in the in the venue models i mean luke mentioned it earlier large-scale music venues twenty thousand people in stadiums five thousand people in amphitheaters that that what happens there what does live nation do Mm -hmm. do they put a series of live events on in parks where they can spread us out six feet you know they all have to rethink I mean, they all have to rethink exactly how they want to bring back their businesses and bring people together in a way that makes us feel comfortable. So, yeah, I think it'll be a radical shift. Yeah, I mean, you just, might see... Just to, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just to, like the, the building on that surprise, I guess, we had about draft, it maybe points towards a, an insight around how now what people are not going to want is a home away from home. They, they're going to want something that is not home yeah. at home. Do you know Big what I mean? Thing. Like don't, don't, uh, that raises really interesting questions for coffee shops as well, you know, outside mm-hmm. of our industry, which kind of built there. Well, we'll make you feel like you're out. Well, maybe that isn't what people want anymore. Like make me feel like I've got out of, of the pen that I've been locked inside for some time. Um, yeah. The other is that there's going to be, yeah, what does that experience look like? And then who cracks the code on how to commercialize that most effectively? Because it's going to be obviously really, really hard to have, you know, your, your productivity per square foot starts yeah. to decrease significantly, right? So the, I think that the, the organizations, the, the, the small companies, whoever that come up with a way to properly commercialize that offer people value that maybe they're prepared to spend significantly more on than they were mm-hmm. previously might be, might be the people that come out winning. Yeah. Hey, Luke, do you, do you reckon, like, I mean, do you think that this might be a great opportunity in a way um, for marketing? Like, I, I think, you know, a lot of brands consider, um, I wouldn't say we're in a recession yet, but like a recessionary period or a challenging period as a time to invest in their brands, especially brands with high heritage values, um, 
or, or strong equity with consumers, right? So I know that you guys are recently going to be launching or you have launched your Grabs to Paps campaign, <clears throat> which is your biggest mm-hmm. campaign to date. So can you, can you share with me a little bit about the details of that and, and what you hope to get out of it? Sure. Um, so f- first, your, I guess the first part of your question is, do, do I think it's a good time to invest? I think it's a good time for us to invest. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to comment more, more broadly, but certainly there is a lot of literature out there that suggests that the businesses that invest during recessions are the one that disproportionately win over the longer term. There are disruptions in consumer behaviors. There is value to be grabbed out there in the market for the bold that are prepared to get after it. Um, we felt like for our business, we, we've got a, a very strong brand that can get a little bit forgotten about. Um, mm. And um, we want to unlock the power of that brand as aggressively as we can. This is, this is a time where behaviors are changing. Um, and uh, people do seem to be preferring uh, trusted brands that have history and heritage. Mm-hmm. So, so there are some advantages there for us to capitalize on. Um, and also, frankly, we're, we're looking to support our innovations to drive ourselves to be that enhanced beverage business to drive that proliferation, diversification. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to do that right now. Like we're seeing those behaviors changing, right? Those earlier points I was making around FMBs, seeing that explosion. We, we absolutely believe that we can be participating and adding value to that category. We want to get after that right now and be a brand that's part of the future. Um, that's from an advertising point of view. We also do a lot of work um, in kind of local area marketing and so a lot of our conversations about socializing changing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the brands that decide to sit back and watch could, could lose out, right? Because you're just not gonna participate in building what the new, uh, avoid that word new normal, but participate in what you know 2021 and beyond looks like. I think we, we, we as best we can need to get out there and help be the people that create this, you know, whatever is this new world, let's make ourselves part of it and let's help drive and create stuff that people want to have more of in their lives rather than sit back and let other people do it. Because I think that if if we did do that, we'll we'll get left behind. If we do that now and we get, get out ahead of it, then we can, you know, continue to be a cherished brand for another 175 years. Great. I mean, uh, we're almost running out of time, but I'd love to ask just one more question if we can. For the both of you, you know, what does the future of Paths Brewing Company look like? Um, you can be in the next couple of years or in the next five years. It's a pretty, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty broad question, brother. Um, <laughs> look, you know, um, we get the chance to steward, you know, this is a 176-year-old company. We get to steward it into the next 176 years. So, you know, the next you know, your tenure as as a as a as a leader in an organisation runs between you know two and ten years, depending on you know what's going on. So you have a, a you have a brief moment in history to steward a a company um, forward. Um, you know, I think what's important is that you know we don't rest on the laurels of the legacy of the company, but we you know continue to progress it, change it, evolve it, and be dynamic based on the changing market conditions. Um, so I'm hopeful that you know, when my tenure is over, that it's re- the reflection is that, you know, perhaps embraced change through periods of change and, and became a stronger, better business that had, you know, kind of a, a, a future, um, you know, and did some good things during my tenure. I, I do think that 
the direction we set for the organization, you know, a year and a half ago, um, is still true. We established a progressive and innovative agenda 18 months ago and, you know, nothing, you know, says that that wasn't a good choice. And in fact, with, with the COVID virus, it even suggests that, you know, being innovative and progressive and dynamic is even more important because it enables you to accept and lean into the change. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, we, we evolved from, you know, the hipster beer brand that was kind of cool in 2005 to be, you know, the, the modern day enhanced drinks brand of, you know, every, every next generation. But, um, and we, we should sort of unshackle that retro nostalgia thing and, and we stand as a, as a voice of the future. Um, and we have some fun doing it, right? We sell beer, uh, we sell seltzer, we sell whiskey. Uh, we sell stuff that kind of takes you to a physiological place of fun and we want to keep doing that. And Graps to Paps campaign is is exactly that, right? It's stupid, ridiculous, old cliche, you know, kind of jingles interspersed with modern day kind of creativity. It's that kind of fun, familiar vibe that we're looking for. Outside of PBR, though, we have other brands. Uh, we have Lone Star, Rainier, Stro and many other classic American brands. And we want what we've been able to do and we are doing with PBR to be, you know, kind of on these other brands as well. We owe them the, the chance to succeed in the future as well. So, um, you know, I'm pretty optimistic about, you know, where we're going as a business, where, we, where we've been the last few months. And, you know, I think we'll survive through COVID through being sensible. Uh, what I will comment on is an investment, you know, the, the, the investment thing that Luke mentioned. I think it's really, you've got to be really, really choiceful at the moment in terms of investments, um, reducing non-essential, you know, kind of investments and nice-to-haves and channeling money into must-dos. Um, and I think that's what we've done in the last seven or eight weeks. We've had to take some pretty serious and difficult decisions to cut non-essential activity mm-hmm. and channel monies into really kind of useful stuff. So I think as a marketeer or a business leader, you need to stand back and look at your entire investment portfolio and say, okay, what can I do without and what can I not do without and put the money into what I can't do without. And I think the, the frills and the, and the nice to haves are, are gone and we should be funneling and driving all our investment, all our focus and all our energy into the absolute things we must do to, 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 to survive in the future. That, yeah, that's perfect. I think, um, you know, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. But this is a great conversation, you know, great feedback for any marketers out there navigating the industry right now. Um, so Matt and Luke, appreciate the time and, and thank you for doing this. Thanks for having I appreciate, us. Appreciate you having us, guys. Thanks for the invite. Thank you. Gotcha. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and at the Sponsorship Space on LinkedIn and join our community if you're interested in learning more. Thanks and have a great day.